0: Now, fight back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's been two years since Vision Zero was announced. Exactly two years to the day, and it was to be a bold plan to eliminate pedestrian and cyclist deaths on our roads since then. And these numbers, according to the Toronto Star, 93 pedestrians or cyclists have died on the streets of Toronto, which means that the rate of pedestrian and cyclist deaths has not dropped. As a matter of fact, we are on track to exceed 2016 and 2017 numbers. So, 20 pedestrians or cyclists have been killed in Toronto so far this year, a total of 32 people killed on the roads, and that exceeds the number killed by this date in 2017 and 2016. And of course, behind those numbers is a life that was lost, a tragedy. The 93rd victim died yesterday right in the middle of the city at St. George in Bloor. She was a 58-year-old woman killed in a collision with a flatbed truck. The same day, police announced that a 36-year-old cyclist who collided with a vehicle at Colburn Lodge Drive and Lakeshore on May the 15th, had died of his injuries. And another cyclist was killed in Markham. He was a 47-year-old man, probably on his way home from work during rush hour. He was hit by a car on Elgin Mills Road East. We will be getting a number of perspectives on this. We want to hear from you, your experiences the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 and we begin with Constable Clint Stibby who joins us in studio. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, uh, too bad we weren't talking about something more pleasant, but what is your reaction to this? This is on a, you know, a a, a much vaunted bike lane, the Bloor Street bike lane.
2: Well, you know what? Uh, anytime we look at a collision, we have to determine why this collision occurred. Uh, this particular collision is still under investigation. And as you can imagine, uh, any fatalities that we see in the city are too many. Uh, anything above zero is unacceptable. But we have to recognize that uh, in most cases, a collision is not a planned event. If it's a planned event, it's more than likely some sort of homicide or something to that effect. So we're not saying that uh, these... Collisions are unavoidable. They're, every single one is preventable. However, the challenge we have is, you uh, we were talking a city of almost 3 million people, uh, a number of cars that uh, are in the city, I can't even tell you what that number is, but there is going to be conflict. There's much more conflict that occurs we never hear about. We unfortunately only hear about the worst, which is where a person suffers a substantial injury or in some cases is a fatality. But I think it under... Uh, represents what we really see on our roads, which is quite honestly a lot of conflict and unfortunately a lot of injury. one of the simple things that can be done to help make the road safer is by reducing your speed. But we, again, have to look at um, the location where this is being done. Uh, if you drop your speed to, say, 30 kilometers per hour, the person, if they're struck as an adult, has about a 90% chance of surviving. But at 50 kilometers per hour, that uh, uh, person, again, an adult, has about a 90% chance of dying of being, after being struck by that motor vehicle.
1: Okay. On Bloor Street... It's unlikely they were
2: driving very fast. In this particular case, we're talking about a very large vehicle. Uh, uh. Unfortunately, uh, it is apparent that that vehicle ran over that person. So that being said, I mean, nobody's going to survive that. It, quite honestly, it is, it is just devastating a level of injury. But what we have to recognize is, or we have to determine what the mechanism of uh, the actions of the driver and the cyclist were to determine where did the mistake occur. Was it actually on both individuals? Was it just on the driver? Was it just on the cyclist? But even after that's done that's not going to bring that person back. We need to do more to make the road safer. And this is where it boils down to drivers as a whole single-handedly being able to make the biggest difference in the safety of cyclists and pedestrians in the city. We have to keep in mind also that drivers are really looking out, in most cases, for a threat to them, which is another vehicle. Unfortunately, they need to change their thought process and recognize that They are a threat to those other individuals, the cyclists and the pedestrians. So they actually have to put them first. And unfortunately, that's something that's not happening.
1: Okay. Uh, I keep hearing that, that the onus is on the drivers and that most of these terrible tragedies are drivers' fault. Um, A lot of cyclists break the rules. And maybe more of them stick in my mind because as a driver, when a cyclist does something wacky, it scares me.
2: I was actually on my way back from the scene yesterday and a gentleman pulled up uh, beside me on a bicycle and uh, we were riding along Richmond Street and right. we were talking about the collision and he said exactly what you just said he says there's some good cyclists and there's some bad cyclists but the, he says the way I ride is I am de- a defensive cyclist so I know that mistakes are being made and that I have to ensure that I'm paying attention so I mean Certain cyclists will do that. Others won't. I stopped one that went through a stop sign, and they said, well, I slowed down. That's all you have to do. You know,
1: they they may have stopped because of you, because the number of cyclists that go through stop signs, number one— and and even scarier is that suddenly they appear out of nowhere between uh, two lanes of of cars, narrow, and and sometimes then go from that middle like between the two lanes and then turn left over a car, like just crazy stuff. And and I don't want to be blaming cyclists, and we are going to be talking to both a city councillor and a cycling advocate mm-hmm. in a moment, but it's. It's just it's very, it's very difficult, and everybody's in a hurry.
2: But every action that you just described yeah. is committed by a driver as well. Yep. So the reality is we see about 70,000 collisions in the city every year. Those numbers haven't gone down. Although they don't always lead to a fatal or serious personal injury, the reality is they are too many. We need to get those numbers down. But when, as I said, the cyclist that I stopped for going through the stop sign, well, I thought I just had to slow down. That's what I normally do. I explained to them, of them don't slow down. But but the reality is, that's a situation where that put themselves in jeopardy, where there was no need for that to occur. So again, you also have to take responsibility for your actions, regardless of the mode of transportation that you're using, whether it's active transportation as a cyclist or a pedestrian, or as a driver needing to take that second look and be aware of what's happening around you.
1: Okay, our, our 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 lines are piling up, and I will get to you, callers. But first, I want to bring in Counselor Paula Fletcher from Ward Thirty and Albert Cole, who is a road safety advocate. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, Vivian.
1: Um, um, Michelle is our producer. Thanks to Michelle as well. Uh, Councillor Fletcher, uh, on May 24th at the last council meeting, you did bring in uh, some motions to streamline the process for traffic calming. Do you think that will improve things?
3: I hope that will improve things. Uh, uh, Trontonians on local streets, they're hungry for traffic calming. But I was met with uh, a real... Uh, fight back from a whole number of councillors that um, don't think that should move faster. So I'm quite concerned about that. When you get a speed hump that can take upwards of two years from beginning to getting it installed. Well that's just too long Libby. There's something wrong with that and I want to slow down traffic not slow down road safety and a lot of councillors just don't get it at this point.
1: Albert Cole, uh, is Vision Zero just not working?
4: Uh, Well, hello again, Dr. Libby. I should say um, what I found particularly troubling about um, yesterday's uh, death was that we've been exactly in this spot uh, 20 years earlier when, in fact, uh, there were two women cyclists killed on uh, Toronto roads within a week of each other. That was in 1996. Each of them was uh, in a collision with a a truck that had run them over. So we're in the same position now. Over 20 years later, we had Douglas Crosby, a man in his 50s, and a woman yesterday who was 50. Both um, appear to have been, in this case yesterday as well, run over by trucks. In those 20 years, we've really um, ignored not only uh, Vision Zero uh, uh, concepts, but uh, other recommendations that have been made by the coroner in 1998 and again in 2012 on a panel that I sat. Uh, one of those recommendations being side guards by trucks um but but it goes beyond that of course now we know that uh, truck drivers are in a difficult position they've got all kinds of different things they've got to look out for they're sitting way up top they have blind spots Uh, we're not helping those truck drivers because there are technologies we can we should be uh, seriously contemplating such as uh, um, uh, sensor detectors or um, or automatic braking we know these devices now exist Uh, we're not taking action on that and it's a it's a real failure over at least 20 years the death in montreal same as the one in toronto uh, involving a truck yesterday Uh, we've ignored at the municipal provincial and federal level available uh, solutions to deal with this hazard that we know exists which is large vehicles trucks running not over, only over cyclists, but at pedestrians. So there's a failure at all three levels of government, and it's very troubling, especially uh, when you see, as I did yesterday coming home, um, you know, a huge uh, a police and emergency vehicle response uh, when someone dies. But we're not seeing that kind of response by our governments uh, to prevent uh, these tragedies from occurring.
1: Uh, Paula? Should we restrict large vehicles on, on local streets, small, you know, narrow local streets or
3: a slow-moving street uh, like Bloor Street? The um, roads have all kinds of diff- different classifications. So you've got a local street, you've got an arterial or a major or minor arterial, and that's probably what Bloor is. It's meant to allow for larger vehicles. But what I'm struck by, and I'd be interested in hearing what your other guests think, is that a number of these fatal collisions have been with trucks turning. And in two cases, there's a bike lane and they're turning. So there's something to do with intersections that I don't think we're addressing in Vision Zero or just addressing in general. Than uh, what's going on and at an intersection, what's required at an intersection? How, if the, particularly if there's a bike lane, does any driver understand that they can't just make a turn? There might be somebody. To their immediate right, and Albert's uh, right, driver sitting up very high in a truck. But the fact is, you're in a multi-ton vehicle, and there's a small aluminum bike to your side. And it is the onus is on the driver of that large vehicle to ensure that it's safe. I don't think that we have fleet requirements that are up to standard, such as sensors and even the side guards, I've moved two motions to have those, it actually is a federal regulation, they've not made any movement there, I think many of us are frustrated here.
1: Uh, Constable Stibby, trucks, are a particular problem, and is it, is it the technology or is it the driving? It can be very frustrating trying to make a legal
2: turn in this town, either right or left, uh, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, so, yes.
2: yeah, so one of the things that you have to keep in mind is uh, based on the, I guess you could say the shape and the length of a truck that's uh, attempting to make a turn, whether it's a right or left turn, the Highway Traffic Act actually permits that vehicle to make a wide turn because of the uh, length of the vehicle and the inability of it to make uh, a sharp turn as much as the same as a car would. But the reality is... Um, That being said, there is still an onus on the driver to make those movements safely. So really, we have to not just look at the type of vehicle that's involved. Yes, uh, the Councillor mentioned that uh, there was a previous uh, fatality with a bicycle uh, this year that involved the truck. Absolutely. I know exactly which collision she's referring to. Traditionally, we don't see that many trucks uh, involved in collisions. It is primarily cars that are involved in the fatal crashes. Trucks don't make up a large percentage, not meaning it's any better. In fact, it's just as bad, if not worse, because the reality is if you're injured by uh, a large truck, the chances are it's going to kill you. So we need to keep in mind that it does fall to the driver to operate that motor vehicle safely. However, we have to, again, in both of these cases, we have to determine where were the mistakes made, what what could have been done to prevent its it. Is it size of the bike lane? Is it maybe a situation where, and when we keep in mind that any time we have multiple road users together, there's going to be conflict. Maybe there's certain situations where perhaps roads should be dedicated strictly to cyclists. If we did that and there was no say no cross traffic or no uh, traffic alongside the cyclists, I'm going to suggest to you we'd see no fatalities. But anytime you have those road using groups getting together on one street, there's going to be conflict. Unfortunately, there may also like to be an injury or death.
1: Okay. Uh I'm going to take a few calls, uh, and uh, our guests uh, will also be able to respond. We've got Raymond in Etobicoke. Hi, Raymond. Hi, Libby.
5: Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say that I think Vision Zero is a joke. It's never going to happen. Zero. You know, you have ride, reduce-impaired driving everywhere. It's been around for decades, but we still have all kinds of uh, drunk drivers and uh, people being uh, killed. You know, and that didn't say that the goal was zero. Seat belts have been mandatory for even longer. Yet people are still killed in uh, collisions when they don't wear a seatbelt. You can't legislate against stupidity. But I think Vision Zero is lacking uh, two things: education and enforcement. Education, uh, primarily of the bicycle riders, and enforcement, and that means. Bicycles have to be licensed.
1: Oh, I I think that ship has sailed. Uh, Raymond, uh, thanks Uh very... A lot of people agree with you, by the way. Um, I'm going to let our guests respond. Thanks so much for your call. Thank you. Uh, And, uh, uh, Paula, I recall that the original plan called for a reduction in fatalities and there was such an uproar about that that it suddenly changed
3: to Vision Zero. Am, am I remembering this correctly? Well, Vision Zero is an internationally branded plan with certain uh, the toolkit around schools in particular and in other community zones in order to put infrastructure together that will reduce basically the speed of automobiles and make it safer for pedestrians and cyclists. But I'd have to say with the guests that, uh, and I believe Constable Dibby said it's cyclists and drivers. And we get into this us and them all the time. I think that CAA and Cycle Toronto, that should be a summit that we hold because everyone has to listen to the other one. I'm, I cycle to work all the time in the summer, and I drive uh, in the winter. So I, I sit behind the wheel of both, sometimes four and sometimes two. And I can see from both points of view, there's a lot, uh, not a lot, a small percentage, let's say 5% of the drivers that are very bad drivers and, and are dangerous for cyclists and pedestrians and 5% of the cyclists. So how do we get to the 5%? And how do we tell the 95% that are driving well, whether they're driving their bike or their car, that they're doing a good job, and thank you for having a safe drive to your destination and keeping everybody safe while you're behind the, the wheel of uh, four or two wheels.
1: Uh, Constable Stibbe, uh what are the main mistakes that drivers make?
3: In relation
2: to collisions involving cyclists? Yeah. yeah. Well, the right hook is a big problem. Uh, Doring uh, another issue, even the left turns at intersections uh, one of the things that uh, I took a course many years ago and one of the discussions were uh, why is a, on a left hand turn why is a motorcycle or a cyclist being involved in a collision and when you look at how much i 'm going to say noise and what I mean by noise is other vehicles on the road other things that are occurring a cyclist is a very small item or object, basically, in your, I guess, your vision or your field of view, so what's the thing that you'll be drawn to? The large 5-ton that's coming at you or the small cyclist that's maybe beside the 5-ton? I'm going to suggest you're going to see the 5-ton because it is so big, it is so there that it actually drowns out or visually obscures the cyclist or the pedestrian that may be crossing the roadway because you are so concerned about that threat, which is that 5-ton or another vehicle such as a van, a car, whatever the case may be, and you're not paying attention or even actively looking for a cyclist or a pedestrian, that's one of our biggest challenges, that that they're not being seen, not through any fault of their own, but because drivers aren't doing a good job as drivers.
1: Okay, uh, let's hear from uh, Fernando, and uh, Fernando uh, thinks that cyclists are at fault, right, Fernando?
6: Well, I don't think that they are at fault completely. I think that looking at it fairly... Uh, both parties should have somewhat of an aware uh you know like an awareness uh specifically for uh drivers of uh you know, cars they should definitely look at their rear view mirror when they're op- opening a door i will admit that but i would like to address specifically right-hand turns and we know what the rules of the road are if you come if i come to an intersection and i'm there first I'm making a right-hand turn. The cyclist behind me has to wait until I make that right-hand turn because because it it is in my favor to make that right-hand turn. They should be stopping. They are behind me. If we just allow them just to uh, graze by, now they are with pedestrian traffic and that's going to cause that's going to cause injuries to people that are crossing the street. So I think that that's the first thing that should be addressed. If you're a cyclist and you're in a bike lane and there's a car about to make a right-hand turn, it's up to you to, to stay behind that car until that car makes the right-hand turn. I, I've seen I I've I, I've seen cyclists go flying off 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 their bikes and then get up and start yelling at the driver like it's their fault. I'm sorry. If those if those are the rules. That, that have been set out, that the cyclist has you know, the right of way, whoever's making these rules is out of their minds. And I just want to add one last thing, if I may. Uh, Whoever put bike lanes on Woodbine Avenue is out of their minds. Okay, there's no, Fernando. there's no cyclists on Woodbine. They need to be taken out. They're holding back traffic. People want to get home. Okay, okay.
1: thanks, Fernando. I'm going to call on Albert. Um, it, it can be frustrating when you're trying to make a right-hand turn, and you've you've been there for a while, and you're looking both ways, and you're ready to go, and suddenly a cyclist behind you puts on speed in a big way, and you can't go. So uh, I can see why it frustrates people, but what do you think of what Fernando had to say there, Albert?
4: Well, well, number one, um, we are traffic, and number two, um, I think we've got to change our attitudes uh, if we're going to solve this problem. And the first change in attitude is that we're all entitled to be safe on the roads, whether we're pedestrian, cyclists, or motorists. Uh, there is some confusion at intersections now because, of course, depending upon the markings, uh, that there are different rights. So, for for example, now with a bike lane that doesn't have a broken a line along the um, intersection, uh, the uh, motorist does have to wait for the cyclist as if he's uh, passing, he or she's passing a, a, a Passing across another lane, I think the um, uh, so so the foundation of vision zero, and this is really what the discussion w- we 're having is um, we know that people are going to make mistakes, whether they 're um, motorists or cyclists or pedestrians. so the whole impetus of vision zero is the acknowledgement that people will make those mistakes and to design a system uh, that uh, integrates uh, into the thinking of those mistakes so that we don't have tragedies, so that we can reduce road deaths as has been already uh, done um, much more aggressively in places like New York and in European cities. Uh, So so integrating into our uh, planning uh, that people will make mistakes Prevents the kinds of tragedies that we're always all trying to avoid. So, so whether or not you know a driver is saying, well, well, I don't like cyclists. Well, well that cyclist might well be uh, someone that you know and that you love. Uh, so, so, this uh, sort of division as between the three groups is uh, is a very short-sighted. And the first thing that we can do is, is our change our attitude to start uh, working towards making the roads safe for all of us.
1: Okay, uh, we have to take a break. Everybody, please hold on. This is a fascinating conversation. We are going to get to more from Paula Fletcher, Albert Cole, Constable, Clint Stibby, and our callers when we return right after this.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Okay, we are back with our discussion about the rules of the road, cyclists, drivers, vision zero, and uh, I'm going to call on Constable Stibby first because you're saying that there are so many different ways to make a right turn that it's easy to make a mistake.
2: It's easy to make a mistake if you're not informed and or paying attention to what's happening. I can use Richmond as an example. Uh, Richmond at John, uh, the planters go right up to the edge of the, uh, the corner of the intersection, and it's a solid white line. So So an individual trying to make a right-hand turn can't make that turn unless it's safe to do so and has to be ensured that they're not blocking a cyclist as they're coming through. Move one block uh, west over to John. At John... The uh, there's a broken line, goes back about 20 meters. So what that is, is uh, cars are allowed to enter into the bike lane, pinch the curb, and any cyclists that are approaching from behind are naturally supposed to move to the left and not go along the inside of the vehicle. The driver has to make that lane change properly and safely, not cutting off a bike. But once they're in position, naturally, they should be now going around the left side of that car and continue on their way unobstructed. But do the Is that what the bikes do? Uh, No. Some still try to go along the inside edge. If you're not right up against the curb, that the cyclist doesn't have the option to go down the right side, then they'll go around the left. But the reality is I did it as actually part of an information session, and I had a cyclist tell me I was doing it wrong. The reality is, no, he didn't understand the proper way to use that section of the bike lane. Now you move over to Peter Street. um, Peter in Richmond, it's a solid line right up to the intersection. It's on a curve. Uh, There's no planters. So now how do you make that right turn? Well, you must really treat it the same as it was at Duncan, which is you have to wait until it's safe to make the turn, and you're not interfering with either pedestrian or cyclist traffic. So again, that's all the marked intersections. Then you have the ones that are unmarked, and where an individual is making a right turn but ending up in the left lane. So this is driver error, but I think it boils down to education of both groups to do it properly. And the reality is when I'm arguing with a cyclist at the roadside, saying that, in fact they don't understand what these dashed lines mean, they're shocked when I explain it and they're like, I didn't know that. I'm not saying everyone's like that. Some are aware, some are not. The problem is the ones that are unaware are needlessly putting themselves at risk. The drivers that are unaware are needlessly putting cyclists at risk.
1: Okay, so what kind
3: of education should the city be putting in here, Paula? I think that what the crossbows just said is so important because A solid line means one thing to a driver, a broken line means another thing, and I'm not sure that everyone who's a cyclist is aware, and I'm not sure even everyone who's a driver is aware that when there's a solid line, you can't turn in front of that cyclist because we heard one of your callers say that they they could. So that is a pinch point, and I'm talking about intersections being a spot of great conflict between cyclists, and drivers, and quite possibly between pedestrians and car drivers. So for education reasons, I think that's a really big one. And as we go through Vision Zero and we're talking about what we're learning, uh, this is big thing that we're learning. The other thing that we don't have is kind of a standard bike lane design for the city. So my Dundas bike lane that was put in by Jack Layton in 2002, this is 16 years later, and when I look at at um, Richmond or I look at Shooter Street, I see that the painting, the design has a far higher standard than Dundas, and this is a problem. We need to have something that's consistent for everybody, for cyclists and for drivers, that everybody knows what they are, everybody understands the rules, we know what green paint means, and that we think bike lanes are a good thing, because when you're in a bike lane, you're going to have a better chance of being safe except as we've seen when you get to an intersection.
1: Okay, I'm going to go to Mike in Mississauga. I think you have some sensible suggestions there about
7: uh, making turns a little safer. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Beautiful day today. It's yes, sunny where I am in Mississauga, and
1: great for people to be out on their bikes.
7: I really admire the boldness of of, of the of the bicycles uh, users that actually travel the, uh, the the busy streets of downtown Toronto. Uh, I don't know if I'd have the guts to do that, but uh, I certainly wouldn't. I've got three uh, three quick points. We have to um, you know instill upon the bike rider that they have to take responsibility for their own safety. They have to be aware of what's going on around them, and maybe we should kind of make it a semi-mandatory that bike riders. For for example, have a side view mirror on their bikes, because we can see what's going on in front of us and maybe to the sides, but we don't know what's going on behind us.
1: Um, yeah, and what about, what, what about the idea of a, a light
7: light? Light on a bike? Well, I think it's the law. You have to have lights on your bike. Yeah, only yeah. at night.
2: Only at night. A uh, half hour before sunset and a half hour before sunrise.
7: But uh, another thing I think is important is that uh, we have to also uh, um, educate the car drivers that the bicycle uh, drivers are not their enemy. Imagine if all the bicycle uh, uh, riders actually drove cars. It would make the, the, the traffic even worse. That's a Good point. Absolutely.
2: And you know what? The City of Toronto is moving towards the active transportation model. The idea is... The way to get around downtown, given in five years, will be by bike. It will not be by car. The traffic volumes in the downtown core are getting higher and higher. Uh, Costs for delays are going up. The reality is cars are going to become essentially a dinosaur eventually. We'll still have some people that come in with them. But the reality is, you know, my mother-in-law was coming downtown. I told her, take the train. Why would you want to drive downtown? Because you're going to be stuck in rush hour traffic. It's going to be delays, hours of your time. She was thankful that I gave her that suggestion. But she walked to her appointment. The reality is that is the way the downtown core is developing. Most people now that uh, live downtown, and I'm not going to say that most, that'd be a, 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 uh, predisposing a lot of people to a certain situation, but there are individuals that live downtown that do not own a license, do not own a car. They may have a parking spot, but they never use it. My brother-in-law is one of them. So it's uh, it's a situation where... The needs are changing. You out. That's exactly it. <laughs> but the needs are changing for the individuals that live downtown. And their needs don't necessarily include a car.
1: Okay, David in Toronto. Hi, David.
5: Hi, how are you?
1: Fine, how are you?
5: Not too bad, thank you. Well, I got just a couple of quick comments. Uh, but when it comes to safety, if uh, you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. You know, that's from my generation, and, and it's so true. And you had some callers talk about right-hand turns, and, uh, you know, I can give you examples. Uh, down Lakeshore going westbound from Leslie. If you want to go uh, north on Logan or Booth, I mean, there's cyclist lanes there. But, uh, you know, no one slows down. Only onus seems like it's on the person driving the, the vehicle. Uh, you know, they should put, like like in Hawaii, they uh, they have a blue stop sign for pedestrians and cyclists. And one of the councillors mentioned something about... Oh, that's know, all
1: we need, okay. another color of stop sign? I don't think yeah. that's a good idea.
5: Yeah. Well, they do it in Hawaii. It's done elsewhere. Because I'm sure, I don't want to go on a limb here, nobody wants to be involved in an accident. And when you're turning right, you can't see people coming up behind you. And that—and that's the problem. That's why in the Highway Traffic Act, if, and Constable Stibby, there, I'm sure he knows it better than I, but if I'm turning right, I turn from the right-hand lane. Now because of the infrastructure issues here in Toronto, now they put a lane on the right-hand side. So I'm kind of like turning right from the middle lane. And I don't want to be involved in an accident, but I can't see them because I have blind spots. That's why you turn right from the right-hand lane. So everyone needs to take responsibility for their safety. And uh, until they do, you're going to continue to have accidents all the time.
1: Okay, that's uh, good advice, I think. Uh, David, uh, Albert, do you want to react to that?
4: Well, uh, you know, for... Th- for a um, hundred years we 've been telling people to uh, be more careful, but uh, we 've also had in Canada three hundred thousand deaths on our road since that time so, so that 's why this vision zero is such an important uh, new step it 's a recognition that people are going to make mistakes and not deny that and not not blame them when they do, but instead uh, say that uh, let 's design a system where people um, Where people are safe. And that means, uh, to uh, Constable Stibby's point, now we've created all kinds of new confusion at intersections. Well, if the safe thing and the right thing to do is not the obvious thing then we're making a mistake so so we need to revisit this issue of uh, having broken lines at intersections where where trucks or cars can merge into the bike lane or having ones that are that are solid lines because that's creating a new uh... confusion that to the system but the first thing as i said and uh, and that's why i'm you know frustrated with some of the attitude of of the callers that you know we've got to get past this idea that uh... Um, some of us are different from others in terms of wanting safety on the road, say, and Constable Stibby also mentioned, I mean, in Toronto, the old city of Toronto and East York now, 70% of commuters are non-motorists. So, so I think uh, people coming from other areas of the city that simply reject this notion or don't want to see the changing city have got, to, have got to accept that our city is changing, that we've got all kinds of uh, road users and all kinds of density in our downtown. It's going to mean new types of, uh, of uh, vehicles on our road such as bicycle, more pedestrians, and we've got to really get to the job, and there are solutions of making it safe for all of the uh, different road users.
1: And Paula, is it on the agenda to standardize these things, or are some of them still kind of pilot projects to see what works better?
3: Uh, the staff have informed me this week that they're reviewing, they're trying to standardize so that design from 16 years ago gets upgraded to what our current designs are. Things move so slowly with bike lanes, Libby. You can see they've even been put in in the bike plan and then removed under the last administration here at City Hall. But one of the things that Constable Stivy said is so important, it's the speed. And uh, 30 kilometers an hour, Compared to fifty kilometers an hour, is actually the difference between living or dying. And are you are you going to legislate center. that? Well, we are in these new community safety zones that we're going to be approving at council, which is all around schools that will automatically lower the speed limits to thirty for almost a, for seven hundred and fifty-four meters um, from the school, so that cars entering the zone uh, will have lower. Speed limit, and then there will be the opportunity to have double the fines if you're speeding there, and that's where also red light cameras could go, can go in. So, our number one focus is school children. And um, keeping school zones safe and moving out from there, of course, cycling. How can cyclists be safe? Libby, it took me eight years to get a safe crossing uh from the viaduct onto the Royal Drive, which is going off the viaduct when you're going east to get onto the Don Valley. So now there's a button the students can press because there's 2,000 of them that cross that every wow. day. Yep. So that's how low and it's very slow to get things done. I want to slow down traffic and make our safety planning and our vision zero go faster. Okay. And uh, I,
1: we're about to wrap things up, so we will take a few more calls. Uh, Constable Stibby, what would you like to
2: leave us with? Well, you know what? I want to point out one thing. Uh, I was in Montreal uh, recently, and uh, they actually have separated by curbstones uh, bike lanes. I still saw a lot of conflict. And where did I see the conflict? at the intersections. So intersections, in the end, are the really killing people. And this is what we need to focus our energies on, whether it's a redesign of the intersection, moving, uh, let's say, using I'll use Richmond as an example, turn Richmond into a main uh, commuting area for cyclists in and out of the downtown core, and then traffic on all the other roads. That way they're not crossing, or they're not competing for that space. Once you take out the, uh, the conflict, you save lives but the reality is that kind of change would be massive and again it would be it would result in major engineering changes uh, law changes and I mean it would be tremendous but would it save lives yeah it probably would once we separate our road users we save lives
1: okay no you have to go thank you so much for being with us uh, I am going to be able to take uh, William in Toronto hi William
8: hi I'm going to go quickly now. Uh, bike lanes are, are very good for me because I can get downtown uh, fast and I feel safe in them. And if you weren't there, I wouldn't be riding my bicycle. Um, now, for as far as uh, right-hand turns go, some uh, drivers speed up and, and cut me off on the bike lane, and then so, then, uh, so they can make the right-hand turn. And uh, they, they just cut me off too close. And sometimes a bus, a TTC bus, will do that. And uh, they'll cut me, speed up, cut me off, and stop right in front of me, on the bike lane. So I just stop and go on the sidewalk, and uh, or or wait till they go around. So uh, the onus uh, the way to solve all of these problems is to uh, pass a law where the driver is automatically guilty until he proves himself innocent uh, if he's involved in a. Uh, uh, accident with a with a cyclist, yeah. and then the driver will think uh, uh, very carefully before uh, they do anything. And for as far as licensing bicycles, uh, you, you can't do it. it it's, it's too many uh, uh, ifs, ands, and buts involved. And uh, the guidelines uh, Highway Traffic Act is a good guideline, but it doesn't work for cyclists all the time. And you just have to watch, and you yeah. have to. Uh, to see what's going on on the road, and you have to react. Okay, and that's uh, that's can do a that's, lot of things uh, that cars can't do. That's so, good advice. Uh, I you, moved thanks, quickly. William.
2: <laughs> one one of the things I want to mention, and I was just thinking yeah. about it, you have to drive not out of convenience, but out of safety. So, and that involves uh, cyclists and pedestrians as well. Don't move across the street out of convenience or don't uh, ride a bicycle out of convenience. Ride it thinking about safety. Because if you are thinking about your safety, you might approach that situation slightly different. And again, being vulnerable, why wouldn't you want to take those steps to protect yourself? Not saying it's all on you, but the reality is anything you can do to make yourself safer will help make your commute a safer one.
1: And... Another thing, you know, sometimes there's unpredictable traffic or bottlenecks, and I'm guilty of this myself. You're in a hurry, and and that makes things go awry, so I just leave a little bit of extra time. The traffic in the city is nuts. And uh, basically, that is all the time we have for this segment. I would like to say goodbye and thank you to Albert Cole, lawyer and bike activist, Paula Fletcher, city councillor, Ward 30, and Constable Clint Stibby. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.